0: Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast by Georgia Organics. I'm Mary Elizabeth, Georgia Organics Communications Director. On this week's episode, we are excited to welcome friends from Savannah and from Athens. First, we've got Chef Mashama Bailey and Jono Morisano of The Gray. And then Lauren Cox, who manages our Farm to Restaurant program, talks to Sharitha Sheets of The Plate Sale. Thanks again, as usual, for tuning in. Um, if you want to learn more about Georgia Organics, be sure to visit georgiaorganics.org. And in the meantime, enjoy our show today. First up, Chef Mashama Bailey and Jono Morisano are co owners of the much lauded restaurant, The Gray, in Savannah. They're also co authors of the recently released book, Black, White, and The Gray The Story of an Unexpected Friendship and a Beloved Restaurant. We had a great conversation about their book, which is a candid and heartfelt look at race, the restaurant industry, restaurant partnerships, and the Savannah region. We also spoke more in depth about their relationships with local farmers and purveyors in Savannah, the region, and beyond, and how this fits into the equation of any successful chef-driven restaurant. Finally, we also spoke about their response efforts in the wake of the pandemic, as well as some of the realities of running a successful restaurant. You can learn more about The Grey at thegreyrestaurant.com and follow them on social media at the handle at All right, I am I'm really thrilled to be joined via Zoom with Mashama Bailey and Jono Morisano. Coming at us live from Savannah. I wish I I wish I could be with y'all. I would love to
1: be by the coast today. How y'all doing? Really good. The weather here is um I mean, it's just nice.
2: Yeah, we're having our th- we're having those 3 days that you get where it's perfect yeah. before it gets blazingly <laughs> hot and humid.
1: And and um, in those perfect days, um I think that Savannah is the third or second largest place for St. Patrick's Day, but I don't know if it's because of Irish, the Irish community, or it's because of all the pollen that covers everything. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's here right now, it's just all green.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny, I, I'm not really aware why that is that, that there's such a good, uh, such a strong St. Patty's Day, but actually pollen isn't a bad guess, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> Well, y'all thank you so much for joining um I am thrilled I have just been reading through black white and the gray y'all's new book um it's really incredible um, I wanna I want to dive into that here shortly but first uh, for our listeners I'd love to get an introduction of y'all and um, maybe if you could if you could each go and introduce yourself and a little bit of, a little bit about your background and then just sort of What is the gray
1: to you? Um, My name is Mashama Bailey and I was born and raised in New York City. I call myself um, a second generation removed southerner because my mom grew up in Georgia and we spent a lot of summers in Georgia and I actually spent some formative years in Savannah. But if you ever ask me where I'm from I'll always say I'm from New York. Uh, the oldest of three, and I've been cooking probably all of my life, but didn't really start doing it professionally until I was in my 20s, and um, it's just, I've never looked back. It's been just a great experience ever since. Oh, yeah, plus, um, (laughs) I have a job. (laughs) I have a job. It's like, if I'm talking, is this a personal ad? So, okay, so... (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> I have partners if and, it
2: uh, is, her number is nine one two.
1: Yeah, I'll add that to the show notes, don't worry. Exactly. <laughs> uh you know, chef and partner at the gray restaurant, the gray market, uh co author of the black, white, and the gray, you know, just been shot out of a cannon and you know, we're gliding through space right now. So it's feeling really good.
0: Yeah, I didn't even start by listing y'all's accolades, which are absolutely fantastic, and and I encourage folks to go listen to some of the really, really great interviews you've done, but, you know, I have a feeling, I know your reputation precedes you with our with our Atlanta and beyond audience, so.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I'm John Amorisano, and um, I am business partners with Mishama in the gray and all things gray-related. Um. We started The Grey like six years ago, something like that. Um, Before that, I am also, before Savannah, I am also a lifelong born and raised New Yorker. And I thought you said something really interesting when we were talking before this, which was um, I want to talk about the here and now and the present. And I think that's a really good idea because we've been talking a lot because of the book about the past. Um, And I think just focusing on, you know, post pandemic and food and you know the state of georgia and what you all do and what we're doing and restaurants like us is a really interesting conversation so
0: yeah absolutely yeah i mean it, y'all have and it's it's detailed so well in the book you know how how both of both of y'all as new yorkers and then you know turned so- Savannans, savannans. I don't know. Well, no, you
2: can't be a Savannian. There's like a 250-year rule. Oh, like you, gosh, you have right. to be able to trace your lineage back to like you know, at <laughs> least at least the 19th century, if not the 18th.
0: Yeah. So a longer time. So what is it like? 10 years to be called a New Yorker, but but 250.
2: Yeah. Things New Yorkers, New York slower. will take anybody. Come on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, well, yeah. So let's let's dive right in. Um, you know, you, you describe in the book sort of what it meant to, to be, to both relocate to Savannah, start a new business and to, to be in a business, right. That is so tied to the hospitality and the, the scene of whatever, whatever city you're in. So what was that learning process like? coming to Savannah, Mashama, you have background in the city, you talk about that. Um, But starting out, you know, kind of what was, what was Savannah to you then? And how has it evolved as part of the gray?
1: Um, I have a funny story. So when I came down, we, I was in New York City, most of the restaurants, they have certain farms that they deal with, but it's really a purveyor based relationships when they when they purchase food, and so I came from that. I was I was uh, reared in that sort of working environment, so that's the idea that I thought was going to happen. So I was having a conversation with Jono about finding a butcher, and uh, he goes, "Oh, there's this great butcher out on Tybee." He's like, you know, everyone's talking about this person. We gotta go and see. I think his name was Mike. We gotta go see him. So, we get in the car and we drive to Tybee. And Tybee is, you know, a beach community um, next to Savannah, and it's about what a twenty-minute drive, maybe, maybe not even. And yeah. so, um, Daisy, stop it. And so, um, he, we, so we, we put the address in the GPS, and we pull up to a supermarket, <laughs> <laughs> Is it like a, a small a...
2: supermarket. Like
1: a small, it was like, like a, more I, of
2: a super rep.
1: It was like an IGA. IGA, yes, yeah, yeah, I know it. Market. So we pull up to the supermarket and sure enough, we go to the meat department and it says Mike's butcher shop. <laughs> Been there. I think
0: that like, means I fought for Mike, okay. Yeah. And
1: that's when I knew that I didn't know anything about surveyors <laughs> in Savannah, and I was going to have to try to figure it out.
2: Just and, in my defense, I had never been there. I'd only heard about it in the gray, <laughs> through the grapevine. I
1: never said you had been there. I'm just <laughs> saying that that's, that was my first lead. <laughs> 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 you're not in
0: Kansas anymore
2: (laughs) it's funny I had gotten I got to Savannah uh four years before we opened the gray two years Mm -hmm. before I even like we did a deal on the bus terminal and um I Carol my wife and I we we were coming down here on the weekends at first like and when I say weekends I mean like one weekend a month But we had started to plug into sort of like, we we found a little bit of a social circle. And one of the things that I learned really early on was that Savannah is a town of introductions. Like, and maybe that's the South, you know, I don't know, because I don't have a lot of experience outside of Savannah. But in Savannah, like you just don't walk up. And knock on someone's door and introduce yourself, whether it be socially or professionally or anything. Like you wait for somebody to take a shine to you and then they make an intro for you to someone who can help you meet someone else. And it just really is this, you know, and that's a much more credible way to do anything. So, us shaman being walking up to Mike's butcher and being like, (laughs) got (laughs) neat.
1: It was, yeah. Uh, I, I agree with that. And then I think, um, yeah, it's a town of introductions for sure. And I think the South is like that. I think you have to know someone to know in order to know someone else. Everything is kind of interwoven. And so um, I, so then, you know, the the, the floodgates started to open because we started to talk to people. And um, one of the people that really helped me navigate. Some of the older, uh, more established uh, cooks in, in, in the area was, um, um, God, why am I blanking? Oh, John T. Um, John T. Edge.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: I wrote, a, I wrote a note to him and I told him what I needed and he sent me two names and one of the two people replied and they kind of helped me um, find out more information about what was going on around and he you know and I was able to kind of go back to that well a few times with him in the yeah. first year or two. so he helped out a lot.
0: Well and I would assume um and I know y'all you Mashama you did a interview recently with Matthew Rayford. Mm-hmm. Yeah 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 Matthew is a is a Georgia Organics board member and and quite the the hub of connectivity down yes. in in Brunswick in that area in that area so yeah, I mean, I think that's a town of introductions is a good way to put it, and I would I would certainly extend that to the southeast. I think, um, I think too, once that door is open, the floodgates are open. Like once you, you know, everyone is anxious to connect everyone down here, and I think that's especially especially true in the world of food, and two, when you get into the into the farming space and understanding the region. Um,
2: I also think that's a little bit of a generational thing. I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, you know, those of us like, and I'm not daring to put myself in a younger generational class, but those of us who are sort of thinking about um, advancing the ball, you know, in terms of connectivity and food and all that, you know, it's a little easier. But when we got here, you know, like the people that we, you know, that were, really growing the food it was still a little older it was still you know older generations and they're very sort of you know like they're great folks once you get to know them but they're a little more guarded on the yeah. um, at the outset
0: yeah yeah well you know one thing that that y'all speak to in the book i think it's chap around chapter four that i i really appreciated is you know y'all come to the table y'all come to savannah acknowledging the the agriculturally rich but also very troubled history of the area and so what i'd like to explore is kind of what what was that process of y'all kind of wrestling with what what is savannah what is the region from a food perspective and how how does that show up in the great like from the menu or the experience
1: Cynthia Hayes, who uh, mm-hmm. was founder of the um, African African American Saffon
0: Saffon Yeah,
1: yeah. She um, she helped connect me to different types of farmers. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just uh, vegetable or produce. It was it was there were oyster farmers and um, and. Um, and so on and so forth, right? So she helped oyster farmers, produce farmers, cattle farmers, she helped introduce me to sort of one of, her. she even introduced me to um, Matthew Rayford and -hmm. Matthew Rayford introduced me to my representative from like Cheney Brothers, we use Cheney Brothers here and um, they're located in, uh, based in Orlando, Florida, but they're a smaller hub. And that's where we get our paper towels and our dry goods from. So yeah. I, like, I just, she kind of like helped me kind of set up shop. But one of the people that she introduced me to was a man named Wilson Moran. And he's like sort of a, a local, He's a he was a police officer in Darien County, but he's also like a Geechee historian. And yeah. talking to him, Um, I started to, I started to get the feeling for what people were eating and why they were eating things. And then I started going down, um, chasing recipes, old school recipes. So using the Savannah cookbook and looking at the different ways that they would do crab or the different purlieus or using, um, you know, hearts of palm. Mm-hmm. And like, so then I started re- then I started asking farmers about ingredients that would f- I would find in this book that was published almost a hundred years ago. And mm-hmm. a lot of those ingredients weren't being grown, like, you know, still, I think they took up too much agriculture or they just kind of like depleted the, the crops and, and stuff like that. So um, I, I, that was my approach. I just sort mm-hmm. of, I think oral history, Mm-hmm. and um, trying to invoke some of the feeling of what the older folks or how the older folks ate. And, yes. and trying to search, it, search those ingredients and use those ingredients in that way instead of sort of this current way that we're using them, which I still kind of go back and forth. Like there's this traditional like kind of homey feeling to the food, but I do try to elevate that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want the flavors to invoke the memory, but I don't necessarily want it to look the way it does yeah. it, you know so. yeah
0: but what a cool you know i've i've always thought of the restaurant as a space that definitely serves a storytelling function and i think especially because you know it's 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 scary that that oral histories seem to be getting lost in the shuffle of technology and social media and things like that but i really do it's it's always um exciting to hear that chefs are doing that, that you are kind of taking on that oral history, you know, through your lens, but keeping it alive. um, One of the
2: things, sorry, one of the things Mishama said to me early on when we, when she got down here and we started to explore things, because we had this sort of early bad experience at a pig farm where we went there and i had never really even been to a farm before yeah. like not a farm that you actually got your food from and we went to this pig farm and it was like a little disturbing yeah. um you know in you know the, the the breeding pens and all that stuff if you've never been to them they can be really um they feel yeah, dehumanizing yeah yeah and and i you know we as so we we sort of like recoiled a little bit from that. And I think that was the first place, it was the first place we ever went together. And we had spent our time getting to know each other in New York City in restaurants, frankly, because we'd go out to eat a lot. And when Mishama got down here and was trying to find her way in the things that you are talking about with her, um, she started to say, you know what? I don't really care how they eat in restaurants down here I want to know how people are eating in their houses you know mm-hmm. and that's what I'm really really interested in and I think that you know in retrospect that was a big driver for how you approached um tackling sort of food and what was grown and how people were using it
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah for sure because it just didn't seem um it was I, I, because the southern food in the city was talking, was speaking to a different narrative that I didn't mm-hmm. think was um, realistic or representation of what you would even see in the farmer markets here. So, like, we have these huge muscadine grape seasons and you don't see them on anyone's menu, yeah. you know, but, but like you ha- you can have bushels and bushels of them for weeks and no one uses them. So I didn't think that what was growing here was being used in restaurants. And and a lot of the menus weren't changing as frequently Mm -hmm. as I expected it to, um, being in a place with so much produce and so much bounty. So I didn't didn't want to rely on what everyone else was doing. I just wanted to focus on what I wanted to say and how I wanted to cook the food. And I needed inspiration um, because in New York or, you know, you can, like cities, Chefs go out to eat and get inspiration from other chefs. They travel and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you're building a business, you can't necessarily draw on that. You can draw on your past experiences, but you're not like booking a trip to go somewhere for two weeks so you can like eat food and come back and change the menu. And so I wanted to just be respectful. And I didn't want to come down as someone who's been raised and reared in New York, assuming that I knew What was being cooked and served because we did that we didn't you know we 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 bought a pig a suckling pig for a barbecue for a cookout that we were doing at the restaurant. And we roasted this suckling pig and I was so happy with it so proud of it, I got it from like this bigger purveyor out of Atlanta and you know put it on instagram and the pig farmers came out with (laughs) more they were like yo. Where'd you get that pig from? What is it? A, 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 I was like, "Oh, okay." You like I know that's that. not my pig, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So,
2: but then know, they also they kind of made us feel like pig baby killers too. Like there was um, like, yeah.
1: Yeah. but they yeah. make you feel like pig baby killers until you buy a baby pig from them, and then they're right, like, oh, exactly. God, I got a nice baby pig for you." Yeah. So you know, you have to be, you have to. You, it's so it is about being introduced and it is about forming relationships with local people who are doing the work um mm-hmm. and they want you to know that when you're not engaged with them yeah
0: well how has that trend? you know um hopefully you've made peace with the pig farmers of <laughs> southeast of the of the coast coastal region but yeah um how have how have those relationships been playing out for y'all and you know, I know something we need to address the pandemic elephant in the room, of course, but, but you know, within the operation of the gray, I guess within the past, you know, let's say two years, um, what have farmer and seasonal relationships looked like for y'all? The,
1: they're expand, they have expanded. Um, yeah. First opened we had one farmer um, that we bought a lot of vegetables from, and the menu was really reliant on her farm. Mm-hmm. And and then there were smaller farmers that could that that focused on um, certain in, certain ingredients and certain vegetables, but not they weren't as wide range as she was. Yeah. And then we ended up, you know, going to someone else who was very close to her, and both those farms are gone. Now. They, they one relocated and one just shut down. And so <clears throat> I think over the last two years, um, actually there were three farms in the beginning and, a, and, and all three of them, two of them left and one shut down. But over the last two years, we've been reestablishing um, those relationships, uh, new relationships. Um, there are two new farmers that are really local and really, we're really engaged with them and we purchase yeah. from, them, from them every week. Um, But it's hard if you live, you know, too far out of the city, because a lot of these small farms, especially black farmers, don't have the infrastructure to Mm -hmm. come, you know, three hours over on a Saturday to drop you off produce if you're spending, you know, two, three hundred dollars a week. They need more than just me to um, buy from them. So Mm -hmm. you start to you start to. those though you that part starts to dwindle out a little bit. So for finding yeah. people with the infrastructure to deliver to us and on a weekly and consistent basis is becoming the newer challenge mm-hmm. in the last few years, because the ones who were closer, um, they're gone. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. You know, that's I, something I, we hear across the state. Yeah, go ahead.
2: No, I was going to say, I think they're also like, you know, in Savannah, um, and I, I don't, you know, I think that for most of the time we've been here, we were the only chef-driven restaurant, right? There were other restaurants that are known for specific things. When we got here, the Florence was open, um, one of Hugh Atchison's places, and Kyle was, you know, that he was making it a chef-driven restaurant, but it just never got the traction, you know, and so we we mostly had the market just to us from a chef driven point of view. And I don't say that as a good thing. I say it as a bad thing Yeah. because, (laughs) you know, that makes it, you know, economically challenging for farmers to serve this city when there's only one restaurant that doesn't have a Cisco truck in front of it, you know, every morning or, you know, a U.S. foods truck in front of it every morning. And I totally get why, you know, I think they have quality product and it's, It's economically good product, but it's not directly connected to what we're doing. And now, you know, we've got Chino over at Husk, who's, you know, really tied into the farmers and we've got Common Thread that just opened and, you know, they've got another place in Bluffton called Farm and they're tied into the farmers. And, you know, the more of that, and the more that all of us restaurateurs, chefs are talking to each other and, you know, and, and cooperating about getting farmers down here, the better off we're going to be, you mm-hmm. know? And, and and I mean that as an ecosystem, not as a restaurant. Right. And right. if the ecosystem, like this is just normal, if the ecosystem is healthier, then all the things that grow in it are healthier. Exactly. And in Savannah, like there's more of that happening, but there's still these outliers of people, you know, and restaurants and, and chefs who are like, I got mine, stay away from it. You know, there's still some of that going on here where I think in the larger markets like Atlanta or New York, like people realize that when you know, we all do better when somebody does better. So we should all be nice. pulling in the same directions. And I, I mean the farmers, the restaurants, the growers, the ranchers, the fishermen. Um yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think Savannah,
2: I think. The pandemic was challenging, um, and I don't want to s- swap over to that, but I think it's starting to move in that direction, mm-hmm. just by you know virtue of the places. Like I find myself going out to eat more often now to the yeah. at places that I the type of places I like to eat at. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: and there's a lot of truth to that because there are a few. There's probably three or four purveyors that we reached out to in the beginning,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: um, they just weren't even thinking about coming to Savannah. And yeah. now they're here once a week, you know, because for restaurants buying from them. And yeah. in, in, so the more people who come and open up good places um, and revamp their menus or, and engage with these local producers, then the more local producers can thrive here. Mm-hmm. So, it's pretty- yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, just, well, on the, just because yeah, I brought yeah. up Kyle a, a few minutes ago, Kyle Yakovino, who was the CDC at um, the Florence when it opened. You know, Kyle now has Vittoria pizza, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're within 250 miles of Vittoria pizza, you need to eat it because it's like ridiculously good. <laughs> but we went over there on Saturday, um, my wife and another guy we work with for lunch. And Kyle has a market pizza always on his menu. And his market pizza had all of the same greens on it that we're serving in our winter salad on our menu, right? And it literally connected for me that, oh, this is how you make this work is Kyle's buying the same stuff from the same high quality local grower that we are. He put his on a pizza, which was one of the best pizzas I've ever eaten in my entire life. And I was just like, it just like the dots are immediately connected for you. Yeah.
0: Well, and the key there, too, is getting the getting the customer to realize that, too. Right. Like once once a customer can become engaged and realize, you know, that that the menu at their favorite restaurant has a life cycle to it. And that life cycle is tied to, you know, farmers, whether they're 20 miles away or 100 miles away. But and, you know, I I love that you're talking about part of that relationship is connection with with the other restaurants so that there is you know the way that here at George Organics when we look across the state and at, and at cities where we're, we're evaluating the restaurant farm relationship um the word collaborative um collective cooperative these things they make a difference because you have to build that infrastructure and and Connect it, you know. Athens is a great example of this. You've got some really great restaurants up there, and you've also got um the common market and collective harvest that that offer that sort of you know they they kind of middleman the the farmer chef relationship, and it's for the betterment of everyone, right? It's it's saying okay, yeah. you know, and and it helps the farmers to get a little bit of specialization too. Um,
2: yeah. yeah. I, so. I do think that you just mentioned a really important group in the equation, which is the guest and the consumer, yeah. right? The, yeah. the end user. Um, because not only do they need to be educated on um, you know, where the food is coming from, and I think that you know restaurants around the country have gotten better at that in the 30 years I've been eating in restaurants, mm-hmm. um, but they need to be educated on you know, how much it costs to grow greens at a two person or grow heritage grain or grow heritage rice or, you know, or just, um, you know, field peas down in Sapelo on a two person farm versus hydroponically, which are delicious on, you know, on a major operation that's supplying, um, supplying restaurants all over the country and why it's important to, for the for the the health of the the local community, the regional community to support those local farmers, like they need to understand, you know, why. Oh man, I you know, if I go to that place, I can get twice the amount of food for half the price. It's like there's a reason for that. There's
0: a reason. Nobody's yep.
2: gouging you. You know what I mean? It's like we're, the we're this is a different product, too,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Well, then it I gets imagine. into fair wage and it gets into. You know, yep. it gets into it, it. It then it starts to become you know a larger discussion than just the farmer, restaurateur guest relationship. You know, now it's beyond that. Absolutely.
0: So I wanna I wanna segue into one of the really cool pandemic initiatives that you all started, and that's talking about the Farm Box program that you did. Um, I know we did a similar version with some restaurants here in Atlanta, but but tell us about that. What was what was that program?
1: Um, you know, we were sort of in our first week of uh, the pandemic and we were trying to figure out what to do with the inventory that we had, You know, yeah. and like, you know, we kind of were, it wasn't like we had the ability to um, clear out our, our walk in and say, okay, we can shut down now. It just kind of happened. And so, um, you know, as an effort to try to remain engaged with our staff while they were being furloughed and also remain engaged with our purveyors that we were just hitting our stride with. And when I say purveyors, I mean our farmers and even Mm -hmm. some of our purveyors, purveyors um, donated some things for the farm boxes. So we, so that was really the, 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 the reasoning behind it. I just, Mm -hmm. we didn't want to lose those contacts. And my, the fear was that these farms would go under if they weren't, um, you know, if they couldn't sell their crops. So, you know, they, they, they dropped us off produce at wholesale and A lot of the management team came together on Saturday mornings and we put together boxes and we weighed out, you know, we weighed out things evenly. And we not only um, gave farmers, farm boxes to our um, staff, but also the neighboring restaurant community, the staff of the neighboring restaurant community in the downtown area, all Mm -hmm. by, you know, donations. It was all donation based, it was a lot of people. Um, who came to the gray and and were fans of ours and loyal um guests and they you know they they cut checks and they were able for us to stay engaged with our people um, both employees and our farmers so it was really yeah. um a very heartwhelming thing and the beginning of something that was really really scary yeah you know, our you know we were really we didn't know what was going on then so we were yeah. just like, ah, no. let's do something. And yeah, so- sorry.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we um, but yeah, we just called our guests. Like, we called some people we knew who were regulars, and we're like, we need twenty five hundred dollars a week to buy produce. And with the twenty five hundred dollars, we made a hundred farm boxes every week. Wow. Um And that went on for eight weeks. I was longer than that. I think.
1: No, we it was two. it was it
2: was between ten and twenty thousand in total donation. I remember, wow. yeah, um, that we raised, um, and um, yeah, and uh, yeah, the farmers were happy, and the team was happy, and other restaurants were happy, and it, you know, really, it was like, it was really a way to get together socially distanced on a Saturday morning, yeah. and <laughs> yeah. you know, and like do stuff together. We did it all out in the yard at the Gray, and people came masked and we had tables between us it was was like it was definitely the high point of everybody's week for those first couple of months of the pandemic
1: yeah Yeah, it was was a good way to check in see people um and just you know see the community it was really it was really, really 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 positive
0: well i know from our perspective um here in the atlanta area the program we were doing which was very similar was called food fight georgia and you know it it was something that was really special and immensely valuable for the farmers, because I know like y'all are saying, like, you know, we were heading into spring, right? Everyone's like, all right, great. We got stuff's coming out of the ground. This is going to be exciting, you know, and then the bottom drops out. And even for farmers that might have a good market business, um, if you just all of a sudden that wholesale business is pulled out from under you, it's, it's a real scary place to be. Um, so I know I know from our end yeah it was something that the farmers could like okay of the many things that that were stressful that was one thing they breathed a little bit easier about mm-hmm. um, to have some of those funds going in and then you know like I'm sure your team that was one of the coolest things from my perspective I, I run our social media and whenever the restaurant teams would pick up their boxes on Wednesday it was like, it was like those YouTube like unboxing things, right? It's like, "Oh man, look at these green onions. God, they smell so good." And like, oh, yeah. "Yes, eggs, you know." Is yeah. that something that y'all, so, I mean like a a moment of bliss in this?
2: <laughs> oh, no, I can actually remember like, "Oh my god, look at those green onions." And, "Oh my god, look at those <laughs> eggs." I'm not kidding. Yeah, yeah, like... yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know, too was, again yeah.
0: we're talk we're talking about you know the the server as such a valuable piece of of the storytelling and and I know one of the things that we witnessed is a lot of these servers like these might not be things that they can either have access to or can afford to pick up for their weekly meal planning but but it was a way for them to connect with this food and and that that then you know prompts them now that we've got you know a little bit of patio seating here and there some indoor dining they have a better connection to the menu, um, and therefore to the farmers too, which I think is really. And
2: cool. also, when they were cooking up the food every week, everybody was Instagramming it and Facebooking yeah. <laughs> it, and all of a sudden, like it's like you're looking at you know someone who you didn't know could cook, and they've got to put together like this crazy you know creative dinner, you know, and yeah. it's like oh wow, that's not bad, you, you know. Yeah. It's, it was,
1: yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and know it, know
2: that it. created another level of camaraderie. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, y'all, I'm so grateful that y'all did that because I know that was something that that had a big impact in, you know, your your community within the restaurant and of course the farming community just to show show support and kind of mutual investment. So so that was great. Um, Gosh, again, like I can't wait to continue reading Black, White and the Gray. I feel like it's. Mm It's so much more than I thought it would be. And I I hope that doesn't sound shady to say, but like I kind of was, <laughs> was looking forward to like, okay, good, I love a good restaurant memoir. But y'all, this is yeah. a meaty, challenging book um, mm-hmm. that vocalizes a lot of things in the restaurant industry, specifically the sou- restaurant industry in the South mm-hmm. that needs to be discussed. Um, and that you bring in the whole, The whole ecosystem of the restaurant story of the knowing the region knowing the people that grow the food um relationships right it's all about it's all about connection and relationships so this book does a fantastic fantastic job of that and and side note shout out to Andrew Thomas Lee who did some marvelous photography to really really give it life um and the recipes I didn't even mention it's got like some really cool recipes, because my personal belief is that that is the best way to get to know someone or like, what are those, you know, for me, it's like, what are those uh, vegetable soup stained recipe cards that my grandma wrote down and, and all of those things. So,
2: yeah, and the recipes in this book, they're not the gray menu recipes, they're literally mm-hmm. things that Misham and I have e- either eaten together over the course of our getting to know each other or cook together or cook for people together um, so they are really personal, um, yeah. and just food that we love. We've made two of them together in the last few weeks for different like book events,
0: really?
3: dirty
2: rice and the wings. And I got to tell you, they're both, both recipes were outstanding.
0: Oh, good, 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 good. Those, that sounds like a good, a good combo too. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if I could say anything, I think I would just say it's a very vulnerable and honest book that also ties food into it in a comforting way, I think. So just well done. It's it's Thank really you. incredible. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. And, and on that note, how can people buy Black, White, and the Gray, and, and generally connect with y'all?
1: Um.
2: I think that, you know, we're we're both huge fans of local bookstores, so, Absolutely. you know, I think certainly in the South, your local bookstore is going to have it, um, you know, East Shavers here in Savannah has a large supply of them, so you can always go to their website, awesome. and, you know, there's always Amazon, they sell a lot yeah. of books, so.
0: Yeah, I, I vote, here over at George Organics, we're all about the local route, so, yeah. I know, um, mishama we're i'm in conversation with um someone from your team and acapella books here in atlanta so hopefully we can get that get that squared away to do something fun acapella that's is going. Over. yeah that's going
2: I, we just have to nail the date on that
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so we'll be yeah. sure to share out details on that that's going to be exciting
2: yeah that the acapella there's a great one to get it at. yeah
0: oh yeah well, y'all, how can um how can folks find the Gray website, social? We'll be sure to share that in the show notes, but website Anything y'all social. have coming up? I out. <laughs> we're we're still in pandemia,
1: yeah. but Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very whole, you know, it's funny cuz there there it is a very hopeful time. It's um scary, but there's so there's there's room. There's room to run and but it's nice to see that The managers that were with us. There's some that we, you know, that we, that we lost and have moved on to different things, but the ones who've stayed are really dedicated. So it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of nice. Very hopeful, but we have a lot going on. I can't, I have to look at my camera, I mean, my um calendar in order to- I,
2: I will tell you, we the biggest thing we have going on, which keeps us up at night sweating bullets quite literally yeah. is we're opening two new places in Austin, Texas this summer. Yes,
0: it's all that um, great news, congrats. Yeah,
2: so that's gonna be um, challenging and fulfilling and exciting, and hopefully we don't screw it up. And if our partners are listening, we won't screw it up, I promise.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Y'all got this. Y'all got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mishama Jono, thank you so much for joining us on the Thanks, Atlanta Marla. Foodcast. And Hopefully, we'll have many future conversations with George Organics and the Gray, and and wish you all the best. And good luck in Texas. I know it probably won't be as as home sweet home as Savannah is now, but you know, I like those Texans. They're good.
2: Yeah, they're not bad. <laughs>
0: Well, thanks, y'all. Thank um, you. I hope everyone can can check out this book this summer. It's going to be a good read. Thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks, Mary Elizabeth. Next up, Lauren Cox, who manages George Organic's Farm to Restaurant Program, spoke to Sharitha Sheets of The Plate Sale, an Athens and Atlanta-based group co-founded by Sharitha and her husband, Michael. Their current projects include a dinner series, a farm restoration, and a restaurant startup. They discuss these exciting projects, particularly their work, restoring and establishing a farm near Athens, and navigating the pandemic as entrepreneurs. To learn more about The Plate Sale, visit theplatesale.com and follow them on Instagram, at theplatesale. All
3: right, I'm going to start. Okay, Hey everyone, listening in. Um, This is the Atlanta Foodcast uh, with Georgia Organics. My name is Lauren Cox. I'm the Organic Procurement Coordinator and I run the farm to restaurant program uh, for Georgia Organics. I am here today, super excited to interview the amazing, talented Sharitha Sheets from the plate sale. Um, Super excited to have you and um, we are coming full circle. We are almost a year and three months since the last time we talked to you, right? Is that right? That is right. Yeah, that's about right. It's end of 2019. How are you doing? How are you doing today?
4: Oh, I'm good. Um, I'm good. Yeah, this is it's, it's hard to believe that we're in 2021 and we're recapping. Oh
3: <laughs> I know, it's <laughs> so, so insane.
4: So much time, so much time has passed and so many things
3: has happened. I know, I, I'm so excited to hear everything that's happened. I've kept up with you on the Insta and, um, and just like, yeah, it seems like you're all doing a bunch of cool stuff. And so I just want to see... Like what has, what's kind of last year been like, like just catch us up, catch everybody up on what you and Mike have been doing um, over the last year. So that was 2020. Right. Um, And bring us up to today. Yeah.
4: Yeah, so I mean, um, oh man, last year. Last year (laughs) was all over the place. Yeah. Um, However, we made it. We are here and I am grateful. Um, so we, uh, beginning of last year, we were very much so in part-time mode with the plate sale, focusing on, um, the preliminary steps of, um, searching for brick and mortar, um, you know, meeting and doing consulting and, and, and talking with folks around and COVID happened. And uh, that kind of just put a pause on those steps we were taking, um, Mm -hmm. along with, you know, of course, us and the world being laid off. And um, we then decided that we had to, I mean, we really didn't have a choice and uh, took on the plate sale full time. Um, and became full-time entrepreneurs (laughs) in the midst Ah. of a pandemic. (laughs) So um, with that said, there's been a lot of um, pivoting and a lot of challenges and just figuring things out. Um, But we took on, um, we were popping up, you know, pre-COVID and we had landed at Hendershot's on a a weekly basis. Um, So once we took on uh, the plate sale full-time, we decided just to be here on a full-time basis. So initially we, Hendershot's has pretty much allowed us to use their vacant kitchen um, for us. So we operate out of the coffee coffee shop and uh, we served lunch um, five days a week. Yeah, I believe right at the beginning, starting
3: last March, March, April. Um, wow, that's like full-time Yeah, I, like pop, I guess you could call it a pop-up, right. straight up
4: full-time five days a right, week. Right, we were just like, okay, this is less of a pop-up and just more of like, I mean, we looked at it as a way of saying, you know, what would we do if this was, we were in the middle of, you know, owning a restaurant and mm-hmm. to serve uh, the community. So we decided to first focus on lunch, um, just to give us a little work-life balance and also be able to take care of Luna. Um, so we were here five days, um, that grew into you know offering uh, weekend hours. Um, and since then we have cut the lunch hours um, and we're focused only, Um, on weekends, on Friday and Saturdays, uh, Hendershots have, they have live shows that they've introduced with limited capacity um, seating. So we're cooking dinner on those nights, which have been, it's been great to kind of get back into the groove of serving guests and engaging and um, talking about the food that we're serving. Um, And yeah the uh, the farm is the other side of this as you know but we'll talk about that in a minute I guess
3: yeah yeah and so for folks who don't know where hinderndershots is in Af- so it's in Athens it's where is it kind of in Athens?
4: It's uh, I mean I guess it's like south downtown I guess they would say here but uh, I would say off Prince Avenue um, in the old uh, or in the
3: bottleworks oh yeah okay
4: yeah 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 so in the old like coca-cola uh, bottling plant off prince avenue cool uh,
3: yeah um, i'm curious like what kind of clients do you get you know what kind of athens being such like a college town and then also you know i guess i don't even know if students are in school or if there is um if they're everybody's doing remote because athens is such a college town in the summer I- clears out and you get all the locals what have the folks been like that come to the plate sale and come to Hindershots? and do most of them come there because they know that y'all are there or is it kind of like walk up happenstance and
4: yeah um it's evolved for sure initially it was more of probably more of walk up like oh who are these people oh you have food now you know and more um the way Hendershot's is running right now is that there's a garage window and um, Seth is the barista. He's the one that everyone talks to and he's helping us take orders as well. So when folks have come to order their usual coffee, you know they'll see that our menu posted and they're inquiring more there. So that's kind of how it started. It was um, more of his clientele or you know, his regular customers. Um, since then though, as we've just put ourselves out there a little more and um, talked about it and you know try to let people know as much as we can that we're here um we've seen that switch to people coming to eat mm-hmm. with us um yeah. whether they've been to hinder shots before or not um and also we've seen a growth in kind of like repeat customers um which is really cool and then we have i mean being from here we have a um awesome group of folks have supported us just because just because you know they're like oh yeah. they've seen us do stuff you know in Atlanta and other places but we hadn't done much here in Athens up until now um so we've got to introduce to introduce who we are and what we've been doing all this time to, to friends and and family it's been really cool having families stop by and eat with us as well
3: oh my gosh I bet people are so excited to have y'all um, in Athens and I mean I would be really excited to have y'all in Athens when I was living in Athens I'm I, know. And y'all <laughs> I know we missed each other <laughs> uh, like two shifts of the night um right. well so okay cool so what's going on with the farm yeah so what happened with the farm last year I saw some videos yeah so yeah. so right
4: as um COVID- affected us. We were actually planning to move onto to the farm in uh, the farmhouse there. Um, this is my grandmother's home, which I grew up um, next door. And so it's kind of like going back home for me. Um, but this is the home that hasn't been lived in for like eight, eight years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so we moved back there. At the same time, we've been tackling uh, like construction projects, <laughs> <laughs> at the house while also living there while also a lot of clearing and cleaning of the land um, around this time last year three porch farms came out and I saw that. well prior to that we had a really dear friend come and clear about this is a little less than an acre um, of pasture that had just overgrown trees everywhere so he came and cleared that out Um, and then three porch followed up and, uh, tilled a plot for us and it was beautiful. And we threw in cover crop, um, over the fall season. So they actually have volunteered to come back out this spring, um, and till that in. And then we'll just continue. I mean, the plan right now is we are working on this week or not this week, we met this past week uh, with the weller. So we first have to get a new well installed. So that's happening. He says we're about five weeks out with that.
3: Wow.
0: Um,
4: after that, we'll have an irrigation design formalized and we'll be putting in uh, irrigation and micro irrigation. And then um, right after that, it's the high tunnel. So oh. right now it's a lot of just clearing and taking the steps to implement those things before we just dive deep into like planting um we're just rotating cover crops helping um uh -hmm. just prune get things back healthy uh incorporating pollinators we'll have probably some herb beds and flower gardens and things around um but don't see us really planting in rows or you know on a larger scale until next spring or so
3: yeah, man, it's like such a life project, right? Yeah,
4: exactly, exactly. And I'm glad you say that because it's been a lot of like, what's going on with the farm? Are you done? Are y'all done? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not done. I don't think it'll ever be done. I mean, even when it's where we, you know, dream of it being, I still see it as a living thing. It's going to evolve. I mean, you have to, it it evolves. You, you can't
3: plan in, you know, you can't
4: do the same thing you, you do each year. So it's always it's always changing. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I would love to think of it as y'all's, like, I started thinking about this phrase called a working retirement, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> like, okay, like I can go in, go in and do the things in my, on my land, you know, on right. the family land, walk out and see that. And then, you know, be working. Cause it's, it's like always, again, like you said, yeah, it's always, uh, a, a, progression or uh, evolution or yeah and I think too is it's you
4: know for us it's more about preservation and making sure I mean our ultimate goal is just that whoever comes in behind us whether it's a family member or you know someone passionate about growing food or whatever it is like it it's bigger than just being a farm Um, so that's why, yeah, there's no necessary, necessarily a timeline or a deadline for everything happening. Um, and yeah, yeah. So we're excited as you know, we do see progression. We can see these like things that we've been working towards, like finally kind of happen, happening and coming into fruition.
3: Yeah. Well, even though it is a progression, I will say what are some of I want to know what are some of the things that you're excited about growing out there. Yeah. Incorporate into your menu, the cocktails, the the food, something like that.
4: Yeah. Um we're really big on, well first well let me let me think about this. Um there's different sectors that I see. So the first thing would be um, building garden beds in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, these are just like pollinators, native, you know, plants, flowers, um, and those things just to not only beautify the land, but also just, you know, preserve the plants and, and the things that are native to this area. So that'd be a lot of our focus. And also, um paying, I guess paying homage or also sticking to the traditions of like vernacular gardening that you would see in the South. So um, redesigning a garden bed using like old, I don't know, old bottles and tires and things like that. Um, Just finding odds and ends to like grow or showcase um, some of the plants. So that'd be a big big focus as far as the design of some of the garden beds. And then from there, we want to also focus on growing ginger. Um, We hope to grow a lot of ginger for a beverage product that we have um, that we're hoping to launch and get in bottles sometime soon. Yeah. So ginger would be a big thing, but I mean, that's, um, I'm learning, I'm learning there. So (laughs) I don't, I don't know how ideal and how much and you know what we will plant when it comes to that, but that'll be one of the first, um, major crops. And then a lot of like other herbs and lots of herbs, lots of like medicinal plants. Um, we want to definitely incorporate um and if Mike were here I'm sure he would add uh you know some of the staples like the simple things like your parsleys and your onions and like the things that he know that he will keep uh in his walk-in and in his pantry and always need
3: Mm -hmm. and is that kind of like those are the things let me ask you like when you get it are those the things that really you can tell when it when things like that are fresh or not fresh? Like is there or is that the choice of those? Well, I know like the herbal plants and things that mm-hmm. that sounds like more of a choice of like this story, this the history, uh like what you want to do on an intellectual level too. But I wonder too, like just from a purely Uh, quality level like is some of stuff just you can't deny the value and the freshness of it and having it like always at your fingertips is that oh oh yeah
4: for sure I think it's about um yeah just having accessibility to something that's like fresh and local and and grown um naturally versus just saying like by default I'm going to go and grab it from a grocery store. Not saying they don't have anything local or, you know. Or yeah. Much, but it's just something rewarding about being able to, probably you know, source your own onion. Yeah. <laughs> so something as simple as that. I just think as much as we can do, like we are very well aware that we're not going to source um, our entire menu from, yeah. from this farm. Um, we, I mean, we think it's very important to, you know, still support those around us um but yeah it's it's just something about being able to to grow your own and yeah utilize it and and showcase something so common that you know many people do just run to the grocery store and get instead Mm -hmm. we'll hopefully be able to gather it and 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 grab it from our garden
3: yeah and yeah you like I don't know if people if everybody who eats your Food or drinks your cocktails know this but you guys are hardcore supporters of like local food that's what y'all do that's how I met y'all was Mm -hmm. um through all the work that you did with farmers um and yeah like so you're so you're still sourcing from all these farms how much would you say like your menu comes from, is sourced from farms around there, and um, how does, yeah, I would love to know how, like, the cocktail process works, of thinking about new cocktails, and, like, what's in season, and, or, right,
4: Um, I would say, you know, the menu in entirety is, is definitely, like, 90 percent, of, of stuff like I mean, other than we haven't gone down to like sugar and things like that, but yeah, you know, where it's like main like the food you're consuming, um, all of that we could usually go through the menu and you know tell you where it's from and who grew it. Um, cocktail wise, cocktails have kind of been on halt for me lately. Um, really? as I'm diving back into it now, and maybe it's like a season changing type thing. Like I know um it's just been on the forefront of of my mind as of the last week or so but yeah with the menu development um that we've been showcasing here at hinder shots um with them having their beverage program or just their focus on beverages period like their their coffee shop um we've kind of split that role to where i highlight a few cocktails on the menu um but it's not a full list but those meant those cocktails have been in you know, included, um, fresh ingredients. I mean, I always navigate towards herbs, um, very heavy on spices, um, and just preserving a lot of it too is, um, byproduct of what Mike may be using in the kitchen. So Aww. for instance, what did I make recently? Um, just taking something like when he juices like cucumbers, I may take the pulp, and uh create like a a cooler or not even a non-alcoholic beverage from that um something that may mimic like a agua fresca um but a lot of it is byproduct when 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 we talk like what am i using that's local yeah pulp peels uh (laughs) that's so cool you know like anything from you know dehydrating things so that i can just steep into syrups or um Making, yeah, again, I'm working on making like the the most recent idea has been taking those pulps and making a powder and creating something like um wow. What's it called? Like tang. Uh, oh my god, tang! <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, so, yeah, tang.
3: Healthy right. tang. <laughs> yeah,
4: exactly. So that's been my inspiration. Like what can I use from the kitchen that would otherwise go in the compost bin? Um, how can I give it a second life and, and create something really cool and, and refreshing and good and good for you from it?
3: Oh my gosh. Well, I will be first in line to have your, uh, <laughs> local But my, my fingers and my tongue were orange for like years. Yes. Were you a bit Tang person? (laughs) I was a Tang person and I was just a Kool-Aid person too. Yeah I feel
4: you on the Kool-Aid.
3: I don't know if kids do that anymore though like if they have like a Ziploc bag of Kool-Aid. I don't know. I don't know. If not Kool-Aid it's probably
4: some other other alternative. (laughs) Yeah
3: and and the other thing that was the powder that was probably so bad for you in hindsight was that um was it like celestial tea? And they had the tubes that almost looked like Pringles tubes and they had the individual packets in them.
4: Yes, I forgot about that. But yeah.
3: <laughs> but I, I think along those lines. Yeah, that's been my inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. Well, it's such a creative endeavor. And like, that's just so interesting Just think about that, like the way you come up with ideas to reuse to reinvent and give life again to something that would otherwise go in the compost right exactly exactly it's brilliant um i saw recently that y'all are going to be in atlanta um is it when is that are y'all y'all doing a pop-up or did i miss that you missed that it was this past (laughs) this
4: past sunday and it was awesome it was at eight arm um and it was a sold out, I was going to say dinner, but it wasn't dinner. It was like a day party, honestly, um, with very, like, we, we set it up. It was all outside, had a DJ outside. Um, it was really well organized as far as how guests really respected, like, the parameters around COVID and, like, how they showed up. For the first time people did not show up all at once oh my gosh (laughs) um so it was nicely spaced out uh we sold out people were great the guests were great lots of love um yeah so that's so cool yeah it was our first time back well i was gonna say in a year but no we went to staple house um a few months ago and that was good as well so yeah it's always good to be back in atlanta
3: yeah. Do y'all have anything else on the horizon for Atlanta? Selfishly asking. Um, nothing
4: um, in ink yet. But yeah, we'll definitely, especially as the season's changing and things are changing, yeah, we plan to be back um, as often as we can. But yeah, we, we want to get back there and, and feed you all.
3: Um, Oh, well, I can't wait to have y'all back. I can't believe I missed that, that I like saw it on my Instagram and then, but it's been crazy too. It's been crazy. It has.
4: Yeah. And you know, with everything on Instagram is really hard.
3: (laughs) It's like a blessing and it's also a lot to take in. And so you got to just like put it away. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I'm good with that. I'm saying, like, it's, it's, it's too much right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a lot
3: sometimes. Um, well, speaking of, um, I just wanted to make sure I asked about Luna. How is she? Oh, doing? my gosh. Little Luna. That's not so little anymore. She's awesome.
4: She is. Uh, she had a birthday in January, so she's so <laughs>
3: little.
4: She um, started school or daycare, I will say. Started daycare maybe like a couple weeks before everything shut down. Um, so she's adjusted very well though, being that we had to take her out and put her back in school and she loves it. She loves school. Um, she loves helping us with whatever she can. She's always, I'm your big helper. I'm your big helper. Um, oh my yeah, she's awesome. She's awesome. Uh, a ball of energy and never stops and keeps us you know keeps us on our toes
3: oh well (laughs) please give her a hug for me and tell her will. I don't even know if she'll remember this I feel like she would but she
4: will because she looks at we still have those pictures and she's she looks at herself all the time she loves looking (laughs) at her pictures and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and she'll scroll to that one and she'll be like oh yeah like if I showed her about the showed her the pictures of that day she'll remember <laughs>
1: Aww.
3: um well so last question because I know I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the rest of your day back I'm so glad Aww, that. You were good. um what what do we have going on for this for the next couple of months we're we're gonna just yeah for the mm-hmm. I want to support
4: you um yes. tell us tell us what to do yeah um i would say you've caught us in the middle of another kind of transition um for the next month month and a half we do is plan to still be serving at Hindershots, um friday and saturday um from there we'll still be here um, serving as well, but we plan to introduce some other events and dinner type things um, coming up and just more so more work um, at the farm. So some project days, we really wanna implement once a month. Um, so figuring out that schedule right now and you know um, how to let folks know and sign up for it. Um, pretty much everything we do we post on ig initially but then you can find it on our website as well um so a lot of transition i mean we'll hope we'll be getting some updates on our website our our ig pages what we have going on um some freelance work so let's let's say we're freelancing right now (laughs) (laughs) a lot of projects a lot of projects so yeah just stay stay connected and I don't have all the details at this moment yeah
3: (laughs) yeah they can yeah it just comes it comes as it comes but Uh, yeah um, so just stay connected through your Instagram uh, and or theplatecell.com and theplatecell.com well Sherita I'm so glad I got to talk to you and same here Lauren yeah, and um, tell Mike I said hi, and you. yeah, and kiss Luna, and um, thanks so much, everyone. The plate sale is amazing. You should support them and the farm and this life work that they've built. And Thank I'm- you, <laughs> Thank you So much for
4: having me.
0: Thank you for joining us for another week of the Atlanta Foodcast. Be sure to subscribe and review us wherever you listen. And to connect with Georgia Organics and become a member, visit georgiaorganics.org and follow us on social media at Georgia Organics. We'll be back in another few weeks.